Amen. Amen. And can, can I just ask everyone just to show some appreciation today for this uh, worship team? I don't know about you, but I know my heart needed it today, and uh, I was ministered to uh, deeply. Um, uh, for those that don't know you, my name is Leo Cluse. I live in London. Um, thank you for having me back. Apparently, I didn't cause so many headaches uh, for James Beckers that I, I am back, so thank you, James, my friend. Uh, it's a delight to uh, preach uh, God's Word uh, to you today, this Mother's Day. I really just uh, want to start off with a bit of an admission uh, to you today. Maybe, maybe you can relate uh, to me, maybe uh, not, I'm not sure. Um, over the last three years as a, a Christ follower, uh, I, I've been uh, doing a lot of soul searching lately over kind of what's been going on in my life. And I can look at that three-year period, and I can see some incredible seasons uh, uh, of what, you know, can only be called heights with the Lord, you know, sensing His presence and, and, and passionate worship and a desire to follow out the commands of Jesus. It's been there. It, 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 it's, it's all over the place. And yet, at the same time as I've done some soul-searching and kind of looking at times, I've also been in some pretty deep valleys. And in those valleys, triggered by, I don't know, whatever the uh, disappointment or, or shock of the month was uh, that particular season, I've, uh, as I've looked at myself, I've seen um, um, flatness, um, despair, um, almost a kind of meh attitude towards God. And, and, you know, we can all talk about COVID and we can talk about geopolitical events, but I'm telling you, when I'm honest with myself and I really look at it, the one common denominator of each of those seasons of flatness, if I'm being truthful with you today, was that I had lost my way. I had lost my way in grasping hold of a very simple, fundamental truth of being a Christ follower, and that is uh, God's grace towards me. God's grace towards me, and I... I wanted to admit that to you this morning right up front because I got some things to say to you today. <laughs> and uh, what I don't want you to do as you're sitting there, and, I'm, and I go into it full gear, I don't want you sitting here thinking, this guy just thinks he's got that whole grace thing all down, this Christian walk all down. I don't got it down. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I come here as another beggar who's found bread telling other people where to find some bread. But I'd like to point you to that today. And uh, so where we're going to do that, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, whether uh, like me you have this or you want to open an app, uh, I really encourage you to do that because you're going to want to follow this story along. We're going to be in chapter 7 of Luke today, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, and um, get yourself over there so you can just follow with me in the story. You'll probably find it helpful. I want to kind of show you the way the gospel narrative weaves itself and uh, 
uh, honestly, I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite moments in the life of Jesus because um, it's a picture of all I want to be. Today, we're going to meet a woman who fully gets the grace of God towards her and his love and his forgiveness, and her whole life has changed. And in contrast, we're going to meet a man, a religious man, so immersed in his religion, so caught up in his performance, so caught up in his standing in society that he's far from God. A man who has all the answers and yet has nothing. By the way, this happens all the time in the church. I don't mean necessarily this church, but the church uh, globally. It happens all the time. Uh, Many people uh, attend church uh, regularly, sometimes their whole lives. They uh, never actually, though, live out a different life. Yeah, they, they say and do all the right things externally. You'd look at them and go, oh my gosh, I'll never, ever, ever attain that. But There's been no heart transformation. There's been no change. There's been no passion for Jesus. And what I want you to see today uh, in the contrast between this woman and this man is how she responds to Jesus. Uh, I'm titling this message, We Bow Down, uh, because it's in seeing her bow down before Jesus that what we see is what God's going for in your life uh, today. He wants you to have passionate adoration for his son. That's what we're going for today. I, I'm going to just go out on a limb here and, I'm, and suggest to you that this woman here is one of the most impactful women in all of the scriptures. Passionate adoration for the son. That's what God wants to do in our lives today. Why? Why, why, am I, why am I parking on this? But here's why. Uh, because it's so easy. Wouldn't you agree? Isn't it easy to become apathetic? Isn't it easy to find yourself in the trap of uh, go to work, uh, come home, do whatever, Netflix, bed, repeat, recycle, and somehow there's just over time and then something hits and something dis- disrupts and... And, 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 and God is in his uh, spirit and something I've been praying about for you this morning. God wants to do, do something in your heart today. So here's where I'm kind of going today. I'm going to uh, give you a, a sense of the setting of the story. I'm going to uh, talk about the obstacles to passionately adoring Jesus. And then I'm going to show you the fruit. I want to show you the fruit of what happens when God starts to do this in your heart. And you're going to want it. You're going to be um, seeking it today, and we're going to have a little time at the end to pray about that. So let me get the setting for you. You have your Bibles, chapter 7 of Luke, verse uh, 36. You may want to read along with me, and we'll get going. One of the Pharisees asked him, uh, him, by the way, that's Jesus. Uh, Jesus still, this, his fame is spreading like wildfire throughout the land of Israel. Um, asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, Jesus did, 
And reclining at the table, now this meal would involve uh, other people, perhaps it was a party, perhaps it was a large group, group. certainly there would be other Pharisees uh, there. Uh, Now normally when a guest is invited uh, in this way, it is uh, to honor them for something uh, in this culture, Uh, but what we're going to see later on is that this Pharisee didn't have any intention to do that. It might have been curiosity of Jesus. It might have been amusement. It might have been jealousy. But what the Pharisee doesn't know is that he is going to be the subject of a very um, punchy lesson, uh, a heart expose from Jesus. And uh, all I can say to that is that's the risk you take if you invite the Son of God over for supper, okay? So just, just know what you're getting into. Now, let's uh, take a quick look at the key players in the story that you're going to see here. We really only have three. We have the Pharisee, we have the sinner, uh, as she is called in the Scriptures, and we have uh, the Savior, Jesus. Look at verse 37 with me and follow along. I'll read for a bit. And behold, a woman of the city who uh, was a sinner, when she learned that he was that's Jesus, reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, uh, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began, now just picture this in your mind as the text unfolds here. She began weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he, note this, if you like to underline in your Bibles, underline this phrase, he said to himself, he said to himself, so in his mind he's thinking this, he's not chattering about it, he's not talking to Jesus, he said it to himself, Well, if this man was a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. The word touching there is key to the text because she is seen uh, in that culture uh, as unclean, spiritually unclean before God, like like a leper or an adulterer uh, because of her sin. And any religious man of the day would never allow anyone who was unclean to touch them because that would mean they were unclean and they'd have to go through all these purification uh, rituals. So that word is pretty keen. It's funny, isn't it? Does Jesus seem worried? Not at all. Verse 39, he's saying, if he was a prophet, uh, he would know who's touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered saying, say it, teacher. Now, in verse 37, we meet this woman specifically labeled a sinner. Okay, so if you're up here wondering, well, uh, this guy's harping on the word sin a lot. I'm just drawing from the text. Sinner. What kind of sinner? What's going on in her life? I'm not totally sure. I could t- probably spend 10 minutes uh, going through all the ways that uh, 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 a woman could be labeled a sinner, um, the p- cultural possibilities of that, but, uh, he, but the probability, according to commentators, was that she had probably been a prostitute. Here's what we know 
She wasn't thought well of by her community at all. More to come on that in a moment. So we briefly met the Pharisee in verse 40, but the Pharisee has a name. His name is Simon. That's a common name in the New Testament. Don't confuse that with Simon Peter or Simon the Cyrene or a bunch of other Simons. It's just, it's this one. Now, for those of you that hear Pharisee, maybe you're a little new to church, you're not quite sure what it is, or anytime you've heard it, you've kind of thought, it just sounds like a bad word in religious circles. What does it mean? Let me remind you they're the most influential religious group in Jewish society. The very name Pharisee means or carries over from the Hebrew the idea of to separate. That's why they would cloister around themselves, to separate, to separate themselves from everything else that was unclean. And frankly, these guys, man, these guys put on a show, okay? They they saw pretty much everyone below them as unclean, but when they really had reason to it, they would zero in on it. But they were really, really big on their own spirituality. Uh, They were really external about it. uh, Jesus would expose that. They were uh, obsessive about their public displays of how religious they were. And... um, as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus, is <laughs> relentlessly exposes them to, ha- to be all form, no substance, proud, self-righteous, bitter, envious, spiritual frauds, even lovers of money. Now, verse 39, Simon, the text says, he said to himself, he's in his mind, these are his thoughts, he's accusing Jesus of not being a prophet. If this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this was who was touching him. And then it says in verse 40, catch this now, catch this, and Jesus answering him says to him. Now, was there a dialogue? No. Simon's thinking this, but the text says Jesus answers him. Jesus knows what he's thinking. Jesus does what only Jesus can do, how awesome he is. Verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Oh yeah, oh, yeah Simon, I, I, I read your mind right now. That's what I can do. I know what you're thinking. I know uh, the question you asked and answered but never had the uh, courage to ask me to my face, but I'm gonna speak right now. What you asked in your mind, I'm gonna speak uh, to your face. Listen, I want you to hear this morning, there is never a moment where Jesus is not in control. In your life, and at, in what's going on in the world today, past, present, and what's to come. Never a moment he's not in control. Verse 41. Well, hang on for a moment. Let me just back up there. Uh, we got the setting. We got the players now. Now Jesus now shifts his gears, as he so often does, and, uh, and he tells a parable. 
And uh, it's verse 41, uh, chapter 7 of Luke. If you're just uh, uh, coming in on uh, video or live streaming, we're in Luke 7, verse 41. He says this, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii. A a denarii was about a day's worth of of work. And I I don't know, depending on the job you have, that that ranges, I I guess. But uh, uh, basically what he's saying is someone owed 500 days of work, of wages. And the other, 50. 500 to 50. Verse 42. When they could not pay... He canceled the debt of both. So uh, regardless of how much they owed, they both, these guys were both bankrupt, okay? And someone decides to just say, look, I'm going to wipe the debt clean. And Jesus is basically uh, answering the question, who do you think, Simon, is going to love him more? No brainer. Obviously, the guy who was uh, forgiven the larger debt. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been forgiven a large debt uh, by a bank? I mean, has the bank wiped your mortgage uh, uh, free uh, recently? I keep praying for that. Why is the Lord not answering that question? I don't know. Um, I mean, it's one thing when it's a small little debt, right? You know, you're out at Tim Hortons and uh, you're in line up with your buddy and he buys you a cup of coffee and you're like, hey, let me give you it for that. He's like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And you're like, hey, that, thanks, man. That's, fun. That's great. Small little debt. I don't want to diminish that, by the way. Anytime I'm at Tim Hortons, if you want to buy me coffee, I'll, I'll take it. But, but that, it's a totally different game when we're talking about a massive debt. And if you've ever been forgiven a large debt, someone just said, we're wiping the slates clean. It's as if it never existed. You know what it does. You know there's a sense of relief, a weight off your shoulders and a gratitude. And in some cases, for some people, uh, love. How can he do that? No one does that. That's the point. That's the point Jesus is making. And listen, as we're going to see in this woman, when you realize the sin that dwells within and you really grasp the magnitude of what Jesus Christ has done for you in your place at the cross, It's supposed to provoke gratitude. It's supposed to provoke love and adoration. Now, Simon here, due to his hard heart, he he ain't picking up what Jesus is laying down at all. He's just staring. And yes, he gives the right answer, uh, but uh, notice in your Bibles, even with the answer, verse 33, he says, I love the way he does this, uh, uh, because I've done this when I've been in in an argument I didn't like. Um, The one, I suppose, (laughs) there's a tone to that, you see. There's a tone to the way he's talking here. The one, I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Now that phrase, I suppose, it's in every single translation of the Bible. It's in the, uh, obviously in the original. The Holy Spirit put that there for a reason. Uh, I don't want to read too much into I suppose, but I'll tell you what it smells like to me. It smells like indifference 
and it smells like reluctance. And this is why Jesus now in verse 44 moves from parable to reality. Okay, now Jesus is going to take the parable, which really wasn't a complicated parable. There's tougher ones, to reality. Verse 44. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. In the one man, we uh, see a heart that will not soften before God, and another uh, in the woman, we find a heart that is soft before God. Have you ever heard that expression, soften your heart before God? And maybe for some of you guys, you're not exactly sure what that is, but you're not maybe in touch with your emotions. Um, this is what softness looks like. This is what hardness looks like. One who is soft has it. One who is hard doesn't. Passionate adoration. And since passionate adoration is something I really want to get at today, I just want to talk a little bit here about the obstacles, the things that could stop that happening in your life. Maybe some of these are. Here's the first one. Pride. Pride. I think pride is the single greatest deterrent to life-giving worship. Think about it. You got two people in the exact same situation, same opportunity in front of Jesus, Simon and the woman, and yet polar opposite responses. Why? Well, in Simon's case, it's pride. His greatest error was that he didn't think he was much of a sinner, if a sinner at all. Why? Because he was focused on other people's sins. Obsessing over all the sins he can see in others and all the ways he can point it to the law and how he knows it and he just sort of zeroes in on it. Blind to the reality of his own uh, sin, uh, but... Um, not just the woman, he also is judging Jesus. I mean, like it's one thing to judge a woman you don't know who's walked in, bad standing in the community. He's got Jesus sitting here. He's also judging him, the Messiah, in his very house, the Son of God. And in his mind, Simon's judging Jesus Literally, the forgiveness of sin, the possibility of being reconciled to the Father, the possibility of being declared righteous, the possibility to have eternal life is sitting in his house. He's literally talking with him. And instead of doing anything about it, he just judges him. You know why pride is so devastating? Because it, it, it prevents you from seeing yourself clearly. It blinds you. Can't, Simon can't see himself, he 
can't see the woman truly, he can't tragically see Jesus truly, he can't see anything truly. Incredibly, Simon, I think, probably thought he was doing God a favor. Simon probably thought he was doing what a good Pharisee should do, point out those sins that he can see in other people. It grieves me, you know, uh, how many people can be so close to God in a way, you know, maybe coming to church all the time or being exposed to the scriptures or, or to worship or whatever, and never humble themselves before Jesus and receive the forgiveness that can only come through him. How many services they might have attended, how many opportunities they've had, how many books they've read, how many conferences they've been to and yet remain indifferent, maybe even hostile. Here's Simon, this is his problem. Right now in this moment, so close yet so far. Friends, here's what I want to tell you today, and I'm just, just brother to brother. Um, watch out how you evaluate other people as a Christian. It, it, it can go really fast the wrong way. Be careful. We, we just love to obsess on the speck in our brother's eye, and we just are completely capable of ignoring the two-by-four plank in our own eye. I'll tell you where, where you want to start is you start by evaluating yourself first. And, and, and this is what you say. You say, I'm a sinner, as opposed to, that's, see that sin? See that sin? See them? I'm a sinner. Me, I'm the problem with my life. That's where we start to see true change happen. Here's the second obstacle, cynicism, cynicism. By definition, cynicism is distrust. And it can happen, now I gotta be careful here as a pastor. Cynicism and distrust of other people can come from tragedy and um, pain, and I, that's another sermon. I'm just going to put that over on the side there. I don't want to diminish that, but I want to just talk about ge the general cynicism uh, that can come from arrogance and selfishness and self-righteousness. Cynicism is judging the motives of other people. And when cynicism... Uh, gets a hold of you, it uh, puts an obstacle in the way of adoring Jesus. It, it produces bitterness, a bitterness that grows like a cancer. Simon is one of the few people in all of history that has a pastoral visit from Jesus. The Messiah can't see it. And instead of responding, he rejects him. No worship from his life, no love, no adoration, no bowing before him, just cynicism, judgment, and contempt. Notice how Jesus exposes it in verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. Um, in those days, uh, ancient Israel, um, 
Water for the feet was a common courtesy for a guest you were bringing into their home just because of the geography and climate. It'd it be like today, you know, a guest comes in, there's a welcome, you offer to take their coat, you guide them somewhere. There's just basic courtesy. Like, this isn't even, this is just sort of level one. And if you didn't do it, you get your servant to do it, but by not doing it, everyone at this gathering would understand that Jesus is being completely dishonored here. But um, even more, he says, uh, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has met, uh, wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. Do you, do you see the contrast? Verse 45, you gave me no kiss. Again, very common courtesy of greeting a, a guest you want to honor at your home. A kiss, actually still very common in many cultures around the world even today. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil. You really want to honor uh, someone coming to your home in, in Israel? In those days, you would anoint their head with oil. That didn't happen. Jesus says, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Don't miss this. Do you see what Jesus is going for here? Jesus is looking for affection from his people. Jesus is inviting the adoration of him from those he has claimed as his own, those he has saved. This is why I'm praying today for any of you who have never truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You will experience this. Maybe you haven't come to the point of laying it all down before Jesus and saying, look, I just, I'm, I just give up trying to be my own savior, my own master and commander. I'm just, I, I, I take all my sin, all of the things I've done, all who I am, I'm laying it before Christ as my Lord, and you look to him but in faith and trust. And I'm telling you, when that happens in your heart, you look with a heart that says, he cannot fail me. He will erase everything. He will cause my sins to be forgiven. He will cleanse me. He will renew me. He will redeem me. He will reconcile me to God. He will pave a path for me, life after death into eternity, where sin will cease and tears will not be shed anymore. For many of us uh, here today, some of us perhaps, this is the opportunity uh, calling you. See, I don't believe you're here by an accident. I don't believe this is just a chance. I believe God wants to talk to you today. And there's something he wants to press in for each and every one of you on your heart. Final obstacle here, legalism. Legalism is uh, probably the most damaging within the Pharisee's heart. Um, if you're not familiar with legalism, I mean, I think we all have a, and I, we all use the term, but I mean, what is it? What is it? Legalism is ritualistic. Legalism says I follow the rules as opposed to a relationship with Christ. It's based on my good works, my human effort, as opposed to the grace of God. It's basically, I'm going to, to seek to achieve forgiveness from God through my own way, my own works. 
I have it within me. I can do this. Legalism says, it's what I do that matters. I'm going to do certain things, say certain prayers, be a certain person, which God will be pleased with. And at the end of the day, when the rubber uh, meets the road, I'm going to come out on the right side of things with God. That's legalism. As opposed to relying on the grace of Jesus Christ through the cross. And you know, when a legalist hears about the cross... And you can fall into legalism even as a Christian. You can just get into a cycle of trying to perform and perform and somehow think you're adding. But a legalist somehow finds themselves saying, you know, that cross, it's a great thing. But I got to do these extra things. I got I to gotta add on top of it. I'm going to get the solution necessary on my own. Jesus exposes legalism in Simon. Um, he says, verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many... See, Jesus never backs away from the truth for any of us. Not Simon, and not with the woman. He's not coddling her. Right in front of all these men, he says, her sins, which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Here's what Jesus is saying. Both people in the parable are bankrupt. Simon thinks he owes 50 because he sees a woman who owes 500. But if he could see his own heart, the pride, the cynicism, the legalism, he just can't, can't. So he thinks he doesn't have much sin, if any. He doesn't value the grace of God, doesn't see the need for more, sees Jesus as just some fad, some TikTok video for a short season of time in Israel. I'm telling you, the moment you realize I am completely dead in my sin, I am lost that I have sinned against Almighty God. I have no ability on my own to fix that problem. When you can get there, when you can see that, and I know for some that could be a big obstacle. That doesn't mean you're just gonna hear it today and react, but I wanna plant that seed for you. When you recognize that the Bible says you're unclean before Christ, that is when, and, and he offers a solution, that's when your heart will explode with love and gratitude, just like we see in the sinful woman. But pride and cynicism and legalism can get in the way. All that is is just religion. Religion. Religion is what you do. Christianity is what's been done for you if you receive him. So, Enough with the obstacles. I just want to now talk a little bit about the fruit. The fruit that happens with passionate adoration. I just jotted down these. Let's start with this. Hunger for God. Look at verse 37. Luke says, and behold, see, Luke wants us to pay attention here. That's why he wrote that. Look at what's happening here. A woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So picture this in your mind for a moment. L live in the text. 
Imagine, imagine the shame, would you? Just, can you get there? Imagine the shame she is feeling in this moment, walking into a home that technically she has no business being in, a bunch of men all in the religious garb, very religious, they have standing, she's got nothing, they know who she is, they, she knows what they think of them. Imagine the shame. Everyone would be sneering, there would be turning away, there would be certain looks, there would be some murmuring. But she's saying in her heart, I am so hungry to see my Savior. Nothing is going to stop me. Do you see that? Nothing. There's no greater pursuit you can have than the pursuit of Jesus. And this is where her hunger overcomes her fear, overcomes her hesitancy. This, This is such a picture of faith. I mean, I have trouble producing a better one uh, in the Bible, truly. Now, there's some debate among scholars about whether she was already saved uh, before at some point in her life, perhaps hearing Jesus preach earlier, or she was saved in this moment. Uh, You know, I don't know. I can't tell you. Uh, The commentators have been debating this for the ages. I do know she may have heard him preach at one of his big gatherings, something like this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that may have just blown her mind. He's not talking about physical rest. He's talking about spiritual rest, the rest from trying to earn God's favor. The rest from trying to perform your way to God saying, that a boy. Whatever was going on with this woman, she was, she was determined. She's like, nothing is going to stop me. I'm going to see the Savior. I don't care who's there. I don't care what they think. I don't even care how I look. Her hunger overcomes her hesitancy before God. You know what is amazing about this woman? She says nothing in this passage, not a word. Nothing. There's no text. There's no quotes. And yet, she says everything. With the actions of her life, She demonstrates the brokenness, the genuine brokenness that God is looking for. Now, I know that today, some of you, uh, there's some hesitancy going on in your life. I don't know, maybe you're already a Christian and there's hesitancy. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you're drawn, but there's hesitancy and and there's some fear uh, in your life. And and, and I, I want you to know I can understand that fear. It's the fear that says, you know, like, if I give my life to Christ, if I follow God in the way that he's leading me into this thing right now, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what he's gonna ask me to do. I'm afraid of the change. I'm afraid of what some people will say. When you are hungry for the Lord, 
I believe this is a work of the Spirit, but you can pray for it. You can ask for it. We're going to be doing that at the end today. You can overcome that. You can overcome that. You can be at a place of, you know what? I just want Jesus to be central. I'm tired of all the hesitancy. And listen, you know what? You know what you're going to find? You're going to experience the presence of God in a way perhaps you've never experienced before. Here's, here's another thing I want to highlight. Brokenness before God is a fruit of adoring Jesus. Studying this week, I was so affected as I pictured the woman coming in. You look at verse 38, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Um, do you notice Luke, and this is particular of Luke, okay? This is what makes Luke very unique in, in the gospel writers. He is a, uh, he's a little OCD on details. That's what I love about Luke. He, he records minutia. And he zeroes in on everything as if we've got a, a, a camera, a slow motion camera shot on it. But he's doing this for a reason. The woman enters the room with hunger, immediately broken. Now, the room she's entering, Jesus, a typical kind of uh, Israeli uh, Jewish dinner of the ancient uh, Near East times, uh, Jesus would uh, bend, uh, the tables were really low, like, you know, just barely off the ground. Jesus would probably be reclining on one arm so he could eat uh, with another hand. She comes before him, she uh, bows, she begins uh, to uh, worship him, um, she goes to anoint him, but here's the thing, the moment she actually gets in front of him, uh, what happens is she's so aware of who he is and who she is, she can't control her emotions. She literally loses it. She breaks down. That word of weeping in almost all of your translations, verse 38, it literally means to rain showers. This isn't a whimper. She's sobbing tears upon the feet of Jesus. You know, I was picturing, as I read this, I was picturing the day the first day that I ever get to lay eyes on Jesus when I die. I think Christians should think of this. What will I do? <laughs> How will I react before him? I mean, how do you hold yourself together? when you know what he's gone, what depths he's gone to, to rescue and redeem and save you. When he put him, himself in your place to take the wrath you deserve, to take the punishment you deserved, to offer forgiveness for sin, how do you express your gratitude to him? I'll tell you how. You break. She weeps tears upon his feet, lets her hair down, begins to wipe his feet uh, with her hair. Now, uh, a little cultural understanding here. Uh, letting your hair down uh, 
in front of a bunch of men in this culture, that is a no-no. Okay, the Talmud, uh, uh, um, not in the Bible, but it's another big book that the Pharisees followed, says that a, a, a husband could divorce a wife for doing that. It was considered shameful. Um, in today's world where we're uh, pretty desensitized to just about anything, it would be the equivalent of going to the mall and seeing someone just walking around naked. It would be like, like, I don't need to see that, okay? But she's not interested in the legalism of the day. This woman is so focused on him. All she does is, I don't care about the rules. I got to express my love for him. And this is where you see the fruit of the brokenness. I'm not intimidated by other people. Some of you here today are being called this moment by the Holy Spirit to draw closer to God. He wants to do something in your life to prepare you, to change you. And it's time to say, I don't care who sees what. I'm giving my life to Jesus fully because that's what brokenness does. Here's the final thing, and then I'll close very quickly. Affection. True Christians will have more than just good thoughts about God. They will feel affection for him. Now, notice what I'm not saying. Emotion is not the measure of your discipleship. Okay? I'm not talking about emotionalism. But I will tell you that you cannot truly understand grace and remain unaffected your whole life. Some of us have been sitting in church for years. We've never once come close to feeling what this woman's felt. And there are some of you here today, there's a part of this message that's bothering you because you know why? I know why. Because I've been in a message like this. I remember, some of you are remembering days where this was commonplace. This was you. And then something happened. Something got in the way. Maybe it was a tragedy. Maybe it was a person. Maybe it was an event. Maybe it was you. But something stopped it. And if God sent me here from London today to say anything, it's to say we can put that now aside and we're starting afresh. God wants to renew your heart But it's critical to know what this affection is rooted in. It's rooted in the forgiveness of sins. Here's the end of the passage. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, and this is what gets Jesus into trouble a lot later on in the gospel story. I won't, that's another sermon. Who is this who even forgives sins? Meaning, who does this guy think he is? This, this is blasphemy. Verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. 
The woman loves because she understands how forgiven she is. It's her faith in him that he is who he claimed to be, that he offers what he claimed to offer, that she can trust his promises. It's a gift from God, this faith. Salvation is by faith through grace, by grace through faith. That faith justifies us, makes us righteous, it saves us. And if it's real, if it's real, it'll produce a heart that wants to follow. See, that's, it produces a heart that wants to follow, not perfectly, but wants to follow, wants to love him, wants to live out his commands. Three fruits, the fruit of hunger, brokenness, and affection. Is this you this morning? You got to do some business with the Lord. I'm just going to take a moment and pray as the worship team comes up. But um, as I pray, if you want to just have your own conversation with God, you can lift off my prayer or you can just ignore me altogether and talk to the Lord. But I'm just going to close our service here in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you um, recognizing that there's not a single person here who in some way doesn't need to um, get to a place of brokenness and hunger and affection for you. None of us. I know I need it. And Lord, for, for some today, there's just been some obstacles that have come in the way. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's cynicism. Maybe it's some kind of legalism going on. But God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would release them that you would produce in their heart faith, that you would cause us to, to long for you, to love you. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this place. I pray, God, for people who have fallen into a place of hurt and are running from you. They've uh, fallen into a place of sin. They're still running. Lord, Lord, help them to understand that wherever they run, you're going to follow. Thank you, Lord, for being the God who pursues. And for those here who don't know you but feel their heart being moved, Lord, I pray that you would take this seed, that you would water it by others, that it would grow into the fruit of salvation that leads to eternal life. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.